0: Welcome to the Financial Liberty Podcast. Until you wake up from the American dream, financial uncertainty will be your American reality. Join Sam Legaspi and Ko Sukamoto and their guest as they explore how you can attain financial liberty by uncovering truths that have been kept secret for decades. Have you ever played a game and didn't know the rules? How can you ever win? Learn the rules to the game and, in turn, learn how to win. Now on to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Financial Liberty Project with Sam Legaspi and Co. Sukamoto. Today we are talking about money, and uh, I'm just going to hand it over to the guys because they are rip rare and ready to go. Sam and Co's. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning.
2: You're uh,
0: great.
2: You know, being in the financial game for over two decades, I liken myself to a scientist. You know, in a lab that uh, you know I've tested and experimented. You know, and so many things and things that worked and things that didn't work. You know, the experiment of financial success is an ongoing one, one that will probably never really get solved. But I will say that through these many years of seeing what works versus what doesn't, I figured that there are many commonalities that separate the successful retiree from the non-successful retiree. Success isn't measured by how much money you have, but the quality of life you live and the legacy you're able to leave not only to your kids, but to your grandkids and future generations as well. So today, uh, I've got my trusty right-hand man, Ko Sukumoto, to help me discuss the topic for today, which happens to be the 10 biggest mistakes people make with their money. How
3: are you, Ko's? I'm doing great here, just watching the weather come down in the form of precipitation, and uh, you know what? Out here in the West, got to have that water. It's it's good for the economy. It's good for the souls. So I'm happy for that.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like yeah. a chicken soup for the soul is water. Yeah, right?
3: yeah. So we got the ten biggest you said mistakes that people make, eh?
2: Yeah, yeah. The 10 to speak on, like I'm from Canada today, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, that should be me since I got a bunch of hockey players. But yeah, about. So you know, because so, uh, you know, the world constantly leaves these clues for us to find and decipher, and. And oftentimes, these clues will often be the keys to getting all the things in life that we've ever wanted. But sometimes we just don't see the clues, nor do we choose to see the clues. And the one thing I learned is, you know, I I make a lot of mistakes. And I learn from them, of course, but I'd rather learn from other
3: people's mistakes, wouldn't you? Absolutely. You know, it's kind of an interesting thought because, um, you know, money in in a lot of places is is a taboo subject. People will talk about money, but they won't talk often uh, honestly about money. A typical example, right, Sam, is you go to the water cooler at work. Right, everyone there will brag about how much money they've made in their retirement assets or investments that they have. But when they have that bad day <laughs> where they lose a lot, mum's the word. They won't appear at the water cooler. So I kind of um, liken this show to you know it's like a like the tabloid on money, right? You hear the things that people don't want to talk about, like what they what they didn't do right. And, um, there's a lot of lessons learned here through this show. So, uh, listeners, I kind of think of this as a tabloid of money <laughs> and the tabloid of money
2: Then the inquirer of money. And, you know, the, 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 reality is, is that we, we've only outlined 10, but I can tell you, you know, for being around for so long and goes for, you know, for me over two decades and for us combined close to, you know, three decades, a little over three, I gotta tell you, I mean, we could probably create a list of 50 things. that. Oh, be- Absolutely. You know and, and, and I think and, that list just keeps growing by the week and it was hard. you know it was really hard to actually create just 10 because I know we have limited time and and I wanted to go ahead and compress everything into this workshop uh, or to this podcast and and uh, you know with no further ado because our time is limited. I figured we'd try to get through the 10 because I'll tell you if, if people know who you and I are, we're gonna elaborate on each and every single one of these. We're just not going to go ahead and define it and, de- and and say it and define it and move on to the next one. We're actually going to talk a little bit about it. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and start with number one. And I think this is a big one goes not saving enough money. You know, that seems to be one of the biggest things is that people, when they make that mistake, when the, they they look back and they they uh, they're five, 10 years down the road, they're well into retirement. They wish they probably stocked away a lot more money. And, you know, what I like to say about that is sometimes you know, we run into people that that say, you know, I wish I had half a million, or you know, I got to get up to six hundred thousand or seven hundred fifty thousand, and and you and I, we always say that the end game, being the the amount of money you accumulate, is a very important part to the equation, but it's not one of the most important parts, albeit very important. What's really important is what type of monthly cash flow do you need? Because once you figure out your monthly cash flow, then you can reverse engineer and figure out at what rate of return do you need to generate off of a certain amount to generate that monthly cash flow. So oftentimes we'll see people and we'll talk to them and we'll ask them the questions. So how would you, what would you do different? And a lot of times, number one, we have them say, well, you know, I I wish I saved a lot more money because You know, we run into people that are in their mid-50s or in their early 60s. And to be
3: quite frank, um, you know, they're really behind the curve. You know, it's, it's a formation of habits. We brush our teeth every day. We hated having to do that when we were kids. But our parents, they told us that's what we just have to do. There's no arguments. There's no negotiations. You just do it. And if you don't, then you get to go to the dentist and get a needle put in your gums. Well, that's how life is. And that's how saving money is. If you don't create that habit um, of putting money away at, at a young age, you're going to have that needle in your gums. It's, it's, it's going to be in your wallet instead. It's going to be a lot more painful. That's a really um, painful visual.
2: My, a needle in my gums. I remember that. Now it really stung.
3: <laughs> the needle in the gum trick. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I had to learn that lesson more than one time. But, um, you know, I mean, Sam, we just met um, a husband and wife uh, a few days ago that, um, you know, they're one, one of the success stories. Very, you know, they're rare, but, um, you know, they, they weren't um, making a tremendous amount of income. They had a, a respectable uh, occupation and they've done very, very well. They're, um, you know, mid 40s to mid 50s, depending on the spouse that you're, <laughs> you're talking about. But they've done a very good job of just putting money away. And so he made decisions like, um, you know, if he had to buy a tile saw, he wouldn't buy the, uh, the high end one. He would buy one from a different store that he knew wasn't as high in quality, but only using the tile saw once or twice a year. He just, you know, he, he thought about what, you know, what was the appropriate amount to spend on something. And he did a bunch of tile work on his home, saved on labor. And he multiplied that sort of habit so many times. And that allowed him to save money on an ongoing basis from the, you know, from his 20s. And it was the same philosophy that his wife held, and so today, they're just a very, you know, a very successful couple, and um, they can withstand any storm that's coming their way.
2: So well, there's no question that being frugal is very, very, very important. And and uh, in, in speaking about that couple, I think I, I know who you're speaking of. If I'm not mistaken, one of them, I think it was the wife, kept a budget and was very religious about that budget it was a monthly budget it was a zero budget that they they had if I'm not if I'm not mistaken they started that budget when they got married 20 some odd years ago uh, 29 years ago I think it was and, and, and it's very important because it, it, it showed me immediately that they are financially interested they're invested in their financial future because they wanted to know where each and every single penny and nickel went and uh, those type of individuals are, you know, in this economy, in this society are pretty rare, sadly enough, because a lot of times, you know, we're, we're given an, um, a lecture or a workshop and we ask people who have a monthly budget in here by a show of hands. And very rarely do we actually see any hands go up. And so it was really nice to see that because that told us right there at that particular moment. That, you know, it's not necessarily going to be an uphill climb for us to help these individuals reach what, whatever they wanted to go ahead and reach. And They, they
3: cared. They, they genuinely cared about their hard-earned money. You can just see that. They're they good stewards. They have a good relationship with money. And it all began with savings. And so, you know, a lot this message falls on a lot of deaf ears. You know, we can tell people until they're blue in the face that they need to save money, and they're just not going to do it because they don't care. These people you know, in contrast, had a lot of care for not just their money, but their family and where it was going to lead them. And that was, again, you know, almost 30 years ago that they made that decision. Right, right. Anyway,
2: so let's move on. So after say, you know, after number one, not saving enough money, and and, uh, these individuals wish they did save a lot more money, uh, people in general, I should say, number two is uh, one of the other biggest mistakes that people make is that they don't get out of debt soon enough. And I get it. You know, a lot of people get into debt uh, as soon as they get married. They they buy a home with one another. And they have a car. They have two cars, and and they got to furnish a home. So they they run up debt, and they got kids. And to be quite honest with you, how society works nowadays, it's uh, sort of a norm to have debt. But what we've taught within you know to individuals is that having debt is not a good thing. And and we get a lot of individuals from time to time. Disagree with us and say debt is necessary and and you've got to keep debt going leverage is good borrow other people's money But when it comes to retirement, you don't necessarily want to have to uh, work for another company And what I mean by that is is I I was in a conversation not long ago and this person who worked for the aerospace industry uh, was asked. Hey, where do you work? And he also said "Well, he said "I, I not only work for the aerospace industry, but I work for Walmart. I work for Target. I work for Chevron mobile And we were all clueless, like, what in the world? I mean, you work for so many places. And he said, well, no, not really. It's just that I work to go ahead and pay off those cards. So essentially, he said that he was working for those places because he had to pay the credit card debt that he uh, amassed over a period of time. And so, you know, oftentimes because we see people and they make that big mistake and it's really difficult to to be. Uh, thinking about retirement if you've got about a hundred hundred fifty or
3: two hundred or even fifty thousand dollars well, in accumulate That's a really interesting story, Sam, because if you think about it, another way to to, to view that is out of a forty hour work week, how many hours would you like to work so that it's for yourself? So you already know a big part of the week is working for the IRS and working for the state that taxes you, and so let's just say a thirty your week goes to that or more. And now you're you're also paying sales tax and you're paying other taxes like in California. You know every time you you have to get gas, you're having to pay for um, additional taxes. That's worse than other states. And and so now you go into debt as you were talking about. Now you're working for you know all the gas companies. You're working for um, the credit card companies. You're working for the department stores because you've got 15 credit cards. And so how many hours are now you, are you left working for literally yourself and your family? Is it? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of Americans that are literally working maybe one to five hours a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would right? not be maybe much not even that. I'll
2: tell you, because what the average American actually spends more than what they make. Yeah. So they're probably working for all these companies and and they're working for their kids, uh, you know, college, high school, but also their insurance, their their phone. They're working for so like t Verizon, they're working for General Motors Ally, they're working for <laughs> every Ralph's, right. You know, It's
3: it's insidious, ladies and gentlemen, because again, it's a habit. It's a bad habit. We're led to believe that it's perfectly the norm to be in debt. We can't get a car that we like. We just go ahead and borrow. We can fog a mirror. We got a little bit of income. We can qualify for for a loan. And so guess what takes you five years to pay off that car. And then after the five years, what you want to go buy another car. So you repeat the cycle. So if you're paying paying 500 bucks a month to sustain your car habit, can you imagine how much you would have in retirement after 30, 40 years if you put $500 away in retirement instead of a car all the time? So you just need to buy a car cash. If it means that you have to buy something secondhand used, that's fine. There's good cars out there and you get a much better deal. Yeah, we can talk about debt until we're blue in the face and <laughs> kicking ourselves off our own radio show because we're out of time. But let's, let's move on, Sam.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be a podcast for future. As a matter of fact, it's going to be an, another podcast dedicated completely to debt and why you got to stay away from it. So uh, going back to number three of the 10 biggest mistakes people make with money is that, you know, here's one thing. It's, this is interesting, Coz, and thinking about this, is people leaving the workforce too early. You know, we know a lot of people, they have a, a severance or they're being given a, a, an opportunity to leave the company through a buyout of some sort. And what ends up happening is they actually look at that as, a, as retirement. And they're looking at that as an opportunity to just say goodbye to the workforce. And you know what? They're only like 50, 51 years old. They still have a mortgage. They still have, have children that they've got to take care of and put them through school. They've got credit card debt. They've got automobile loans. But then yet, for some reason or another, they feel that they've gotten the green light to say goodbye to the workforce. And oftentimes, we'll see this and, uh, you know, the, the, these individuals, they, they utilize the word retirement in a manner which probably shouldn't be all that appropriate because they really aren't retired. They've just been given an opportunity to take some money that was given to them by the company or their retirement that they put away for themselves in the form of 401k. And they're given an opportunity to find another position to earn money. And, but oftentimes what we see is that we see people saying goodbye to the workforce and and it really shouldn't necessarily be the case because after, again, about 10 or 15 years, oftentimes you'll hear people say, I shouldn't have left.
3: Well, sometimes people are forced to leave. Whether that's the case or not, the numbers tell you what you have to do. So if you don't have enough in retirement to justify not working, then, you know, it's pretty simple. Then you have to find another uh, job or start a business, anything to create income until you get your numbers to a point where you are satisfactorily uh, wealthy enough to let go of of an income producing, you know, activity called a job or a business. Now we've had Sam, we've, you know, we talked to people and we've seen what they, what they've done is um, some of them have acknowledged that they need to work. Um, but they will wait like two years to go look for a job because they feel like they're sitting on top of an ATM machine in the form of a pension that they you know, receive from the company that asked them to leave. And, uh, and they'll go spend that down. So uh, I guess that's a different issue, but uh, it's, you're right. Absolutely right. You've got to know your timing. You've got to know your number, and you've got to know whether that number justifies the timing that you're you know emotionally thinking that you want to take as, uh, as early retirement. And you know, another thing that came up is, and it's been recently, is, is
2: that we've been encountering some people that have been told that their services are no longer needed at the company. And, and, and a lot of individuals are very, very upset with regards to that decision, even though financially they're in a position to leave that company. And, and oftentimes, right, because we see people that are well into their 70s and, and they're still working and, and that's great. That's actually awesome. But you know, what's really interesting about all this is that, you know, ever since we were young there's this human behavior that we have to feel relevant in the workforce. And I was thinking about this because we were in a meeting this past week and, um, you know, we, we were talking to a person and it was very clear that they were in a position where life was going to treat them very well for the remaining, you know, one third of their life. If they just make the right choices and do the right things and take that path of being diligent. Uh, however, you know, they were really upset with what was transpiring. And a lot of it's because, you know, like you said about, you know, five minutes ago is that there are habits we wake up and we have a habit of going to work and these habits all of a sudden get taken away. But also there's another habit that habit that habit of relevance. We all want to remain relevant. And it's kind of like that movie Shawshank Redemption. It's a prison movie. And uh, I think it was Morgan it's Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was the, uh, the, the lead character named red and he, he made a statement that um, that referred to leaving the prison, uh, an, an individual leaving the prison versus staying inside the prison. And he said that, you know, a person leaving the prison is just, you know, a nobody, you know, on the outside. So he he's had, just he no.
3: had served his time and he was eligible to leave. And he didn't know if he would be comfortable leaving because he didn't know what to do. Right, right. He's and, out of his element. And, and he's out of his element. And he defined that as outside.
2: On the outside, he's really a nobody. But on the inside, he was relevant. He was a very important man. And so individuals, they they are a lot of times, they have restraint in leaving a company. And it's so difficult for them to retire a lot of times because on the inside, they're relevant. They've spent 25, 30 years in that position. People look up to them to, you know, for answers on certain things. To a degree, they are a leader, they are a mentor to others. And uh, it's it's something that again, we we all strive for in human lives or human in human nature is looking for relevance. So it's pretty interesting. I just thought I'd go ahead and throw that off. I know it's a little bit off the topic, but so that's number three, number three. Moving on to number four, number four of our 10 biggest mistakes that people make with money is, here's a pretty obvious one, but it really isn't obvious, <laughs> is they, they don't account for the obvious and the not so obvious in retirement. Meaning that a lot of people, when they say they need 5000 bucks to live off of, they don't understand that $5,000 net is really about seven or $7,500 gross. So they don't account for taxes. They don't necessarily account for inflation and they don't account for medical costs going forward. Because you know this, you know this goes is that the average person when they're retired um, and starting around 70s, they spend anywhere between 200 to 250,000 and out of pocket medical expenses. So if you don't have that in your portfolio right now, you're gonna be mandated to go ahead and spend that at one particular point in your life and you've got to get that going on. So a lot of people don't, account for the obvious things that will be coming
3: their way in retirement. That's a reality check, but you're absolutely right. And and here's another thought that might be a kind of extension of that is, so let's say you have a retirement plan and that plan was produced during good times, meaning the market's going up and up and up. And you think you can withdraw a certain amount every month. And then the economy changes, the market changes, and now you're going through a recession. The plan doesn't justify that you necessarily maintain the same pace of withdrawals. You may have to scale back. You may have to go into your budget and figure out where to cut some costs because times aren't so good. And so, you know, there needs to be a sense of reality. And and it's a little bit um, disappointing to see sometimes people kind of like hang on to their emotional, you know, their their dreams of living a certain lifestyle no matter what happens. But the reality can be different and just have to be realistic. Um, and you know what? So. It's okay to have that particular lifestyle if you plan for it. And that's the other part, too, is
2: that a lot of times what goes on is that we'll get individuals speaking to us going, hey, you know what, Coase, can I have a meeting? He's like, all right, great, great. And you say, well, hey, so give me, you know, tell me a little about yourself. And he's, like, well, the guy tells you, well, yeah, I'm going to be leaving my company after about 35 years. Oh, really? When are you going to do that? Because I'm doing that tomorrow. Say, like, okay. Or, or I've already done it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? It's going to be really difficult to, to really plan for something of that nature when, when he's only given you 24 hours to plan the rest of his life.
3: That's tough. Yeah. Longest vacation in the world is called retirement. And a lot of people get kicked off the cruise ship far too early because of poor planning or lack
2: of thereof. Yeah. And sometimes they don't necessarily get kicked off. They actually take themselves off. They just don't know it.
3: Yeah. They take a big swan dive off the edge of that boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's not funny, but um it it happens far too often. No, sadly. it's just
2: planning. It's all it is. It's just it's just planning. And, and 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 you know when you move on to number 5 of our topic today, people wish they didn't spend crazily after their decision to retire. That's a big one because we know a lot of people, you know, friends, we know um colleagues, we know a lot of individuals that would really like their 10 years back because they're thinking shoot. I got that money 10 years ago. And I really shouldn't have taken my entire family to Europe. And when they're talking about their entire family, they're talking about their their three kids plus their spouses and their grandchildren. And they wish they didn't spend that twenty five or thirty thousand bucks to take off, knowing that they only had about four hundred thousand dollars to begin with. And remember, because with number four, they pull out thirty thousand,
3: that meant they really had to pull out right. Like and four, again, four, it's five. right, and it's a function again of. What your number is. So if you're sitting on, you know, a hundred million dollars, you know, paying for a trip to Europe for all for the whole family for the whole family, and 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 it costing fifty thousand dollars is not a big deal. But if you're not in that category, and let's say you only have a million dollars, uh, you know, doing that may, you know, you may want to raise your eyebrow, <laughs> really question if that's the right decision. So again, it's a function of what your number is. And when I say number, I'm talking about your retirement nest egg. Right.
2: Right, right. Your retirement nesting. And we talk about this. One of the seven rules to financial success, financial liberty is knowing your number. And if, if you need 50000 or 60000 a year to live off of, and that equates to $5,000 a month before taxes, then you've got to figure out what amount of money do you need to have in the account at what interest rate or what rate of return that will generate that amount of income for you. And it would be sustainable. It needs to be sustainable. In other words, you can't say, well, I just need to, my $100,000, uh, and I need $60,000 every year, and I have $100,000 saved, uh, I need a 60% rate of return every single year in order for me to maintain my lifestyle. That's just not going to work. So it's got to be a sustainable rate and a sustainable type of income. So that, that seems to be, because we see it a lot of times, cause is that it's the lottery effect a lot of times, is that people retire. And they have in their hands probably the largest check that they will ever receive in their entire life. And uh, as we know, it's a lottery effect. Typically, within two or three years, people win the lottery, they end up losing it all. And, you know, what we find a lot is that when people retire, they always want to have that one thing that they always wished they had. And we've seen it. We've seen people take lavish cruises, lavish travels, a bought a BMW, his and her BMW and Mercedes Benz's. And they
3: wish they didn't do that 10 years down the road. Yeah, and that's nothing like buying expensive depreciable assets that <laughs> require maintenance. But, hey,
2: that's just me. You know, I just wish it went back to the society of riding bikes.
3: <laughs> walking. Yeah, Walk walking. 20 miles to work through the snow. Uh, or the, <laughs> yeah, the snow and rain. All right. So what's the next one, Sam? All right. Drawing
2: Social Security. And, uh, you know, a lot of times goes is that sometimes we'll draw Social Security or people will draw Social Security, but there's there's some rules that they need to know. And again, we talked to a
3: lot of people. And they say, "I wish I knew those rules, man." That's and what it. I love about government, Sam. They got so many rules, you know. And I think rules are set up so that we can trip on them and then get penalized, right? Isn't that how the government makes money? Hey, I'm not trying to be a skeptic here or anything or, or negative. It's just reality. And so we got to learn how to play the game of money. We got rules. We got to be on top of them. So that's why you're listening to us. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, Social Security, right? So what are some of the some of the mistakes that people make? Well, um, you know, I, I would say majority of um, the mistakes are just not knowing when to take it. A lot of people don't realize that understanding you can take it at the earliest age of 62, it's going to be a discounted amount. Let's just say about 25 to 30%, depending on your own circumstances. But by delaying it, let's say until the full retirement age, which is typically between 66 and 67, depending on your birth year, you could, in a sense, guarantee you know i hate using the word guarantee because that can get a lot, get people in trouble but the government says you can increase your um your your benefits 6% a year by delaying it until full retirement age which again is between 66 and 67 furthermore if you defer it even longer to the age of 70 which is the longest you can go 70 is the longest you can go at from full retirement age until the age of 70 it goes up about 8% a year so where else can you get you know um Quote unquote guaranteed returns from the government uh, between six and eight percent. So, knowing when you know when it takes social security is really uh, something to be thinking about and planning for. Uh, you know, the question we get is, Well, when should I take it? Coase, and the answer is, Well, when do you think you're gonna die? And we get that funny expression, right? Like, oh, I don't know, I don't know when I'm gonna die. Well, well,
2: that's, we that's get people problem.
3: cracking up, or they get
2: uh, they actually look at us seriously. Like, did you just really ask me that question?
3: <laughs> that's true, but it's it's funny getting reactions from people, right?
2: Yeah. So yeah, um,
3: yeah but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, why don't
2: you explain to them like also, cos is that a lot of people they'll retire at 62, they'll they'll take social security, but they're under the impression that they can make as much money as they want and earn income.
3: Well, yeah, there's um, limitations on how much you can make an in income and still you know, continue taking your benefits. So um, once you're past the age of full retirement age, which again, depending on your birth year can be anywhere from 66, to 67 years. Um, once you're past that point, then you can work to your heart's content and not lose any benefits. But if you're Deciding to work beyond a certain amount before that age, then you're going to have some benefits taken away. It doesn't really get lost because it gets prorated once you get to retirement full retirement age, but you won't be getting as much in benefits as you would if you weren't working. So, right. They
2: basically deduct one dollar for your benefits for every two dollars that you earn right. above the amount of seventeen thousand six hundred forty in earned income. Right. So again, so these
3: rules, almost, you just got to be on top of it.
2: Right, right, right. Well, just like a lot of other things goes, got to be on top of so many things when it comes to money.
3: And number that seven, gets,
2: that number gets hard s- to
3: do, huh? That gets hard to do on your own. So you need to have you know an expert you know along your side to help you.
2: Well, either you you hire one or you you become one. You know, knowing what I know now, I probably would never try to manage my own money if I didn't know what I knew. So what we're gonna you move on to be out golfing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So for the third time. We're going to go on to number seven here, um, and we're, we're going to finally get into the performance category of our topic. And a lot of times we see this, and they have too much money in one particular stock, and a lot of times it's their company stock. And uh, you know, the one thing I want to make sure I, I mention to people is you take a look at companies like AT&T, for instance. You know, AT&T was down over 20% last year in 2018, uh, the entire amount. But you look at the stock market, the S&P 500, I mean, it was down a little over 6%. Uh, but then yet, AT and was down twenty percent, and then you look at other companies such as PG E, you know Pacific Gas and Electric. They were down forty percent. General Electric was down over fifty five percent. The disk drive manufacturer, tech company Western Digital, was down over fifty three percent. And so, even though the general market was down, um, you know a reasonable amount, you know a little greater than six percent. You're taking a look at individual stocks, and if you work for companies like Pacific Gas and Electric or General Electric and AT and and all your money, your entire net worth, as far as retirement was
3: concerned, is tied up in that. You wouldn't be a very you happy know there, that reminds me of an individual we met, Sam. We know him, of course. We don't mention names, but again, this is another story. This is where the tabloid part of our uh, show comes into play here. But remember that gentleman again. We don't mention names. That all of his retirement, he worked at AT and and every dollar of his retirement in his 401k was invested in AT&T stock. And we asked him about this, like, are you sure you want to be, you know, taking that kind of risk? And he's like, I'm all at and I believe in the company, blah, blah, blah. And he just wanted to do his own thing. In fact, a family member of his even worked at a, a prominent investment banking firm. And, you know, whether he was taking advice from that individual or not, but he just, you know, stubbornly just wanted to keep all his positions in AT&T and, From what we understood, he just recently retired, and we, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, did you take that twenty, you know, thirty percent hit in AT and T stock in your retirement plan because you retired right after that happened? So I mean, so I mean, if let's say he had about a million dollars in there, then you know, you're looking at you're looking at you know two to three hundred thousand dollars that he lost.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, I know. Yeah.
3: We kind of giggle from time to times
2: when we see that because we see a train wreck happening, right? People forget about two thousand eight. They forget about what transpired back uh, when when Lehman went out of business, when uh, WorldCom, when Enron. You know, all these other companies. The AIG had trouble. the uh, The big three automobile companies had trouble. They forget that uh, Citigroup went all the way down, sub two dollars a share. And so, if you Ooh, had, a, oh, wow. you, know, you know, you had, and your, then they went up. Well, yeah, when up, eh? but but if you had your money, your entire nest egg, just you know, set in that one particular company, you're going to be in a lot of trouble,
3: right? Right. And people always sell. I mean, not always, but a lot of people sell in panic at the bottom. Right.
2: You know? Oh, yeah. So we all know right. it. You know, the 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 retail companies or the institutions sell to the retail guys to the uh, to the average investor at the top, and uh, the average investor sells their their positions to the institutional guys at the bottom. And
3: as a result, the institutional guys buy low and sell high. And See, die. the money never goes away; it's still in the system. It just transfers to somebody else who's better equipped, better planned, you know, more knowledgeable. So it's it's a game. So the money doesn't go away; it just goes to somebody else.
2: Yeah. So all right. So moving on to number eight, because that was number seven, and you know, this is one making bad investment decisions. This seems to be a really generic one, but here's a the kicker here. Because we all make bad investment decisions. You know, we all do. There's not one individual out there that's made a really good investment decision or has been immune to bad investment decisions. But here's the thing, though. Most people do not know what type of risk they're taking when it comes to their portfolio in retirement. And a lot of times, people take a lot more risk than they should be. And it's one of these these areas where if they understood some of the metrics that were allowed to be utilized to measure their risk they would be in a better position to understand where they sat when it came to their portfolio. And, and when I'm talking about these metrics, and we're going to have a show about this too, Kos, is when I'm talking about standard deviation, I'm talking about the sharp ratio, I'm talking about the alpha, the beta, the R squared, and how these pieces of information when tied together gives you an indication if your portfolio is optimized for risk and the return. Are you taking way too much risk? Uh, or are you taking way too much risk for the return you're receiving? Because we see CoZ, that, that so many people, and we've heard this, man,
3: my buddy, he's making 35. Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the, the water cooler conversation.
2: Yeah, hey, they're making 35 on percent on their money. Why is it we're only making 12? And then, of course, you know you, you look at their portfolio because they've been so gracious enough to go ahead and provide their portfolio, and we kind of like whisper going, "Hey, do we tell this guy that, that, that he's taking almost one and a half times greater than the market risk? to get that 35% right. I mean, I mean, yeah, this is pretty bad, but then yet his counterpart is taking about 50% of the market risk. And as a result is
3: generating very good returns because in retirement, you got to be able to manage that risk. Right. And, and, you you know, you said it, you got to have the tools in place in order to be able to assess your risk. And what are those tools? Well, you know, again, it'd be another show, but you mentioned a few alpha uh, standard deviation, sharp ratio. It's like, if you're a cabinet builder, cabinet maker, trying to build a cabinet without a measuring tape, you know you just can't do it. You'll build something, but it ain't going to be standing upright for very long. That's why I failed at building that thing. Uh-huh. Oh, That's man. Right. I used duct tape. Or it's like trying to golf without a rangefinder or having any indication of oh, how far I, well, you're going
2: to That's my problem because yeah. I've had a rangefinder who knows how many
3: years. <laughs> I know. Uh, let's go get one. Oh, or maybe it's golfing with just a putter the entire round. The funny thing is I can have a range finder, my score's still the same.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, my range finder. Hey, dude, what's my what's my yardage, man? <laughs> Anyways, all right, let's go ahead and move on. We're down to the last two here. And the last two, number nine, I think we're at. You know, here's here's what's something really interesting, Coase, is that a lot of people, and I think we kind of touched upon it earlier, is that a lot of people like to hold on to their trophies in retirement. And and we know so many individuals, friends, colleagues, you know, customers whatever it might be that really enjoy holding on to that big trophy. Sometimes it's a car, sometimes it's, it's a typically
3: big a home, a yeah. nice home. They, they they've got history, they've put the tile in themselves and you know, their kids grew up in it. But ladies and gentlemen, the reality is if it's just you and your spouse living in there and you've got a 3000 square foot home, And you're spending most of your time trying to keep it clean vacuuming mopping and this and that maintenance and it just goes on and on plus you've got possibly a mortgage payment that's still what it was 20 years ago you know you're you're paying three four thousand dollars a month on it it's insanity i mean it's it's, insanity i mean if you need eight thousand dollars a month all
2: right and of the eight thousand dollars four thousand half of it is in the form of a mortgage then you got some issues. You got some issues because we liken it to the fact that back in the seventies, when people qualified for homes, there wasn't a FICO score per se. So what they basically did is say, Hey, let's bring in your paycheck and we can go ahead and qualify you for one third of your net take home pay. So if you made $3,000 a month net take home, which was really good back then, they are going to qualify you for a house that would provide $1,000 a month in a mortgage payment. And so roughly and safely, you could pretty much say that about 30% of your take home pay should be in the form of a mortgage. And a lot of times you'll see individuals, they are are spending their take home check or their distributions from their retirement account and a half, if not more than half of it, a lot of times goes straight into the mortgage. And that's just not a very good solution or a very good formula.
3: And again, as I said earlier in the show, if you have the numbers that can justify having that big old home, even though it's just you and your spouse living in there in this big old mansion, that's fine. As long as your numbers can justify it. But a large majority of Americans are not in that boat. So, You know, it's, um, you know, you got to figure out what does make sense to hang on to in terms of a trophy. The trophy that I keep, Sam, is the one that I won in martial arts. (laughs) I remember that one. It's free. I didn't have to pay for it. It just collects dust. But, you know, everyone likes to brag a little bit, right? Well, I like to brag about winning this tournament when I was in martial arts. Was that the picture
2: that there's 10 kids and I was like, now, which one's you? Because I couldn't tell.
3: (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because we all had dorky looking haircuts. This is back right. in the late '60s, early '70s. What did yeah, I? Have we all look like interesting haircuts.
2: All look like Spock.
3: Well, for me, it was it was the hippie generation, right? And I was the one kid that had Disneyland Marine haircut. I mean, it was really bad. I had to go to. I remember this girl rubbing her hand on the back of my head because she wanted to know what it felt like. Did you not? <laughs> you heard belt? it on this show. That was my childhood. Wow. Uh, I wish I Uh, had one of those stories. (laughs) All
2: right. So number 10 of the 10 biggest mistakes people make with their money. And this is a big one. Ladies and gentlemen, if I had a drum roll, I would go ahead and rub it. Rub the back of my head with it. There you go. And uh, it is making family decisions that eat into your nest egg way too much. In other words, giving money away to your family to a tune where it destroys your nest egg. That should be number one. I was thinking about that, but I wanted to go and end on a good note. <laughs> <laughs> We're speechless on that one. Well, because we got an entire story. I mean, we have an yeah, entire entire 30 40 minute we got like maybe three episodes here because we probably have about a hundred people that we could speak of, and a lot of times, right, because this is really sad. you know we speak to people and and we have great relationships with them and and we've known them from for so many years and and then they, they wither away and and they're unfortunately. Uh, in a position where they've lost all their money, not to the market, you know, not to, you know, gambling or, or too many lavish cruises,
3: but you know, somehow they, they've Did got they a de- decide to decide to have the wrong kind of kids. They, wow. they gave, they gave birth to the wrong kind of kids, right? Well,
2: yeah. And there's a story behind that one too, but, but no, I mean, it, it, it really is. You, you look at it and there's a $50,000 wedding that they've got to pay for. There's oh, a $30,000. Canc- yeah. There's you a story behind that, right?
3: Story. You went to the hockey rink recently, right? And some dude was wearing a wedding ring. Cover.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, all right. You wanted me to go there. I thought, okay, I got to be really careful. But yeah,
3: okay. I was at the hockey
2: rink and there's a guy there I know. And he, and I go, hey, dude, you're wearing your, your wedding ring on the wrong finger because he had it on his right finger. And he goes, well, because I married the wrong woman. <laughs> I was like,
3: yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. So, half the people listening right now are getting mad at us because <laughs> we're clowning on this guy, right? But it happens the other way too. Okay. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I've yeah. heard, in fact, I hear more jokes like that from the other. The others, the, other, you know, the other side, right? Oh, that's hilarious!
2: All right, well, well, go team, man! And and so here's here's the thing: we're going to end off here, and 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 number ten oftentimes should be number one, and, and in no particular order is this really, you know, from worst to best, or best to worst, or worst to worstest. Uh, but basically, we've seen <laughs> individuals make significantly bad decisions when it comes to uh, their family and 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 giving their money. Uh, to their family to a point where it decimates their retirement, and it's something that people got to watch out for. And I will tell you, there's ten items here, and that could mean potentially that you've got to stay tuned because we're going to identify and go over each item in each and one of our podcasts. Uh, it, we could combine them, or we can just talk about one. But I can tell you, right, Coz, is that there's ten podcasts here, there's ten shows here because it's so important, if not more.
3: Talk about tabloid, that'd be the one. But um, what mean, the wrong, the wrong, the wrong, you know, wrong you know, ring
2: one. Yeah.
3: Just, no, just, just, you know, relationships are always interesting. So, um, your spouse has everything to do with how successful your retirement is going to be, how happy your life is going to be, obviously right. Or uh, how unhappy things can be, but you know, I mean, Sam, you and I, we've been through a lot of challenges in that side of things. And so I think we're, we're qualified and we're eligible to talk about it, but here's the thing. If you're not equally yoked and all the you know possible manners, whether it's spiritual, financial, um, values, you know, children, child rearing, uh, family, you know, I mean, there's everything. If, if you're not equally yoked, it's going to be hard. And finances are one of the most important things where you have to be equally yoked. And, um, you know, if you have a partner who just doesn't want to play ball or cooperate or listen, I mean, it's problematic. And, uh, you know, and and I, and I realize, you know, when we choose our mates, you know, we think everything's rosy. We think everything's fine. And then, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, we find out it's not. But there's a cost that goes with that. And it's, I would say, destructive to a retirement because you got you, you got attorneys that are very happy to take the case. And they'll take a retainer and then they'll start charging you over and over. And pretty soon you're $50,000, $100,000, $1 a million dollars into legal fees just to get away from this spouse that you no longer get along with. Now, we can't control the kids that we have, but that's a whole other problem, right? There's a lot of guilt trips going on. Guilt destroys retirements. And we see you know, we see people doing things for their kids that they have no, no business trying to afford doing. And uh, yet it, it happens because, I don't know, maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe it's trying to keep up with the Joneses and, um, or just feeling guilt that you, know, you screwed up as a parent when they were kids and you're trying to make up for it with money now. But anything that leads to a destructive retirement, you know, in the end, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to live on the streets and that's what's happening. There's such a huge homeless issue. You know, we're hearing about it in L.A. I'm not, you know, I I haven't researched it. I don't know if these people that are on the streets um, have failed retirements. But, um, you know, uh, there's probably a study that needs to be there. But, you know, the thing is, what are you going to do when you run out of your last dollar and you're still in your 60s or 70s or 80s? Where are you going to go live? Well, I think everyone's going to live with you, (laughs) Coz. I do have a
2: few rooms, but. (laughs) No, you say something really, really, really important. And, uh, you know, we're going to end on that note because I will tell you, you know, last, the last note on that note is, you know, we discuss with our our kids on a regular basis. Times are a little bit different. Is that uh, young adults are meeting nowadays and they're meeting at places they're looking to get married. And unlike yours and my generation, Coz, where uh, we didn't have debt when we got married. You know, you and I didn't have debt. Your significant other didn't have debt. Your wife-to-be didn't have debt. Today, you could graduate and you can meet a person. And before you know it, not only do you have debt, but that person has debt to the tune of about a half a million combined. And both of you got a mortgage payment and you guys are just in your middle, middle 20s. So it's a different story and it actually is a different podcast. So um, we're going to go ahead and top it off here. And you're listening to Sam and Coase and on the Liberty, uh, the, the Financial Liberty podcast. And uh, once again, thank you very much for allowing us to enter your home and entertain you with financial information. Ciao.
1: Well, ciao it is, Coase. I appreciate that. And uh, Sam, both of you guys did fantastic job. This was very informative, a little dark maybe, uh, but uh, truth right? I mean, that's the bottom line that this is truth and people need to hear it. So I appreciate that. And I want to thank the audience for listening today. Thank you for listening to the financial Liberty project podcast with Sam Legaspi and Coe Sukamoto. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below this way. When Sam and Coe's come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And as you were listening to this today, did you, did you picture anybody in your mind that needed to hear any of these 10 items. Maybe they're struggling with or they're doing wrong, and they're certainly not going to want to hear it from you. But share the podcast. Maybe they'll hear the voice of reason with Sam and Coe's. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at the Financial Liberty Project, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: It's that time again where the call of the open road makes its way. We hope good fortune finds you on your own personal road. And until next time, we thank you for listening to the Financial Liberty Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.